This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com StackCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com's Matt Myers. We've got a couple things to talk about today. We're going to talk about the deepest projected lineup for the upcoming season. We're going to talk about the uh, very interesting Padres raise trade that I think everybody sort of missed and like the firestorm of news that's happened over the last couple of days. Uh, there's a couple of interesting rule changes and I have a, a fascinating Twitter question on one of them that I want to pass along to all of you. And then also uh, it's it's very much projection season. Um, so we're going to get into all that. And I guess the projections can account for anything that's happened in Houston because that's all anybody wants to talk about. I do think that's worth talking about, though. Projections have no idea how to account for any of that. Like how could you – I think Jonathan Judge, who does uh, – the Pakoda at baseball prospectus said at best, he was like, um, it would be no better than ignoring it because I would just be sort of guessing at what I want it to be. That's hugely paraphrased. Uh, but I think he's right. Like, what can you do about that? Also, I think you made a really good point um, in the piece you wrote about the, uh, the twins on the site today, which we'll kind of get into in a second about how you had done this exercise a couple years ago where you tried to pick the deepest line that's going into the 2017 season yes. and entering the 2017 yes. season the Astros were projected and, to be the deepest lineup. Yes. This is before any, there was any, there's any evidence of them using any illegal <laughs> science stealing techniques. And even more targeted that same winter, Jeff Sullivan, who was then at Fangraphs did that specifically about strikeout rate. And he was like, well, they're projected to strike out a lot less, um, which I guess is just all the more infuriating because none of this had to happen. Uh, but we are going to look ahead to the upcoming season. Now, I guess other than like Yasiel Puig, pretty much every interesting free agent has signed. Like you could, light a torch for Brock Holt, I guess. Um, somebody should sign Domingo Santana. I haven't heard his name in like six months. He can't hit, but he can rake. I mean, you can't feel, but he can rake. That, those, <laughs> those are the words yeah, I, I guess to he's, say. He's, he's probably, he's, I mean, arguably as interesting as, as we. I, I agree with you. Anyway, uh, we don't have any Keuchel or Kimbrel situations. The interesting free agents have signed. So what we can do now that all the projections are coming out, we can take the projected lineups and uh, look ahead to see who's got, you know, the deepest lineup and deepest and best aren't necessarily you know, the same thing. I'd rather have Mike Trout and a below average hitter than two league average hitters, you know, but deepest I think is like a, a pretty good analog into, you know, who's got the best lineup. Right. And I think that also we've seen in recent years, a lot of like the, the teams that have really dominated have been these, had these kind of relentless lineups where there are no right. weak spots. Right. This is, this is why you haven't seen Mike Trout in the playoffs. <laughs> as great as he is, he can't do it alone. So um, I went through this and there's really no dictionary definition of deepest lineup. So I, I kind of made a, an educated guess. I went and used these steamer projections at Fangraphs and I looked for every guy who is projected to be league average or better. So a 100 or better weighted runs created plus and was projected to get at least 300 plate appearances this upcoming year. Uh, you might argue for 250. You might argue for 280. I used 300. It was my article. And um, I thought that worked out pretty well because for the upcoming season, there's 155 guys projected to get 300 plate appearances and be league average or better. 155. Last year, in reality, there were 149. And the year before that, in reality, there were 159. So that actually works out perfectly. I can guarantee you, my list of 155 will not be the list of 155. You, you never know, Mike. You never know. Uh, there's always going to be like, you know, this is the year Jose Iglesias goes off or something, right? Uh, but I thought that was cool. And then I looked at how many of those guys were on each team. But before I did that, I actually went back because as Matt alluded to, I had done this a couple years ago. And having known how that season actually played out, I thought it'd be interesting to check because if it was totally wrong, then what's the point of doing any of this anyway? Um, and it was actually pretty good, you know, a little noisy as you'd expect. But uh, entering 2017, we projected Houston would have eight of these very good hitters and they had nine. Uh, we projected the Dodgers and Nationals to have seven apiece. They did. And at the bottom, the uh, the uh, Braves, Rockies, and Padres were all projected to have two apiece. And that year they had three, three, and two. So it's 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 more than a shot in the dark, right? There's like some science to this. Who do you think has the most projected above average hitters for the upcoming season? I don't know. The team that just set the all-time record for home runs? 
and added Josh Donaldson. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good place. That is a good place to start. Um, the Twins lineup is um, looks like it's gonna be pretty good. <laughs> I don't know if you looked at this yet, and I'm hoping you didn't. Did you see the quote uh, from Rocco Baldelli about his dad? It's, no, but it's I, w- I want to hear it. My favorite thing in the world. This was from a couple days ago in the Athletic. Uh, I didn't write down who wrote it. I think it was Mark Carrig. If I'm wrong about that, I'm sorry. Uh, Rocco Baldelli told a funny story recently. It was about his father. He called often during the season, imploring his son, manager of the Bomba Squad, to bunt more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not going to happen, Dad. He hit 307 <laughs> home runs. Like, and I, I don't know who who did he want to bunt. It certainly wasn't Nelson Cruz, right? Um, yeah, maybe maybe Byron Buxton for a base hit. <laughs> so the Twins are projected uh, to have the most above average hitters for the upcoming season with ten different guys. Um, five of them are projected to be more or less the same as they were last year: Josh Donaldson, Max Kepler, Eddie Rosario, Byron Buxton, Jorge Polanco. That that makes sense. Like none of those guys are probably going to do like insanely better than the good year they just had. Uh, four of them are projected to still be pretty good, but maybe not quite as good as they were last year. Nelson Cruz, which makes sense. He's going to be 40. Uh, Luis Arise, Matt's favorite player. And Mitch Garver, who have very little track record to speak of. Uh, and Miguel Sano, who I'd forgotten about this, was really dreadful in 2018. I know he wasn't healthy. Um, but did you realize he's been around for five years and has zero 500 plate appearance seasons? I did not, not realize that. He did, he did come around the second half a little bit. The first half was kind of a mess for him. Yeah, well, he, had, he, had some pocket, he had some pockets of um, – I think, I mean, the the Donaldson signing is crucial for him in that regard. Is that like we don't even have to pretend he's a first baseman anymore. Granted, they can't really third hide – yeah. Third baseman, sorry. He'll play first base. Granted, they can't really – hide him at DH because they have Nelson Cruz and Nelson Cruz is still projected to be an elite hitter and he's not going anywhere. He will play DH as long as he can, you know, stand upright. So, so will be a first baseman, but I, maybe it's wishful thinking that like that will help maybe keep him uh, a little bit healthier just because third base is a bit of a more demanding position. I'm in on nine of these guys. I am out on the 10th projected above average hitter, which is Marwin Gonzalez. That's partially because he wasn't above average last year. He, he had a 93 or 100 as league average. Uh, and partially it's because this goes back a couple of years and he was one of the guys in those 2017 Astros. He's already stood up and apologized for it. So he's the guy I'm taking the under on. But here's what I wanted to know. If the Twins actually pulled this off, right, and if they actually happened to get 10 of these above average hitters, it wouldn't just make them the deepest team in baseball this year, the deepest lineup. Um, I wanted to know if anyone had ever done this. And I couldn't look it up via Weighted Runs Created Plus. I used OPS Plus. It's very similar. And it turns out two teams have done it. Uh, I would not have guessed either one of these teams no, definitely in a million not. years. But it turns out they were both good. They both won at least 91 games. Um, the 1983 Yankees, which if you think about the pantheon of great Yankee teams, the 1983 club doesn't stand out. Rookie year for Don Mattingly. Uh, Dave Winfield, Don Baylor, Willie Randolph, like a lot of good players. And the 2009 Angels. There's an Angels team that didn't even include Mike Trout. Uh, Vlad Sr., Bobby Abreu. Tori Hunter, Mike Napoli, Juan Rivera. Have you remembered some guys? <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was a good. But didn't that 2019 win a lot of games? Uh, both team, both of those two clubs won at least 91 games. Yeah, I mean that the the Yankees in the 80s were a surprisingly, I think, were a much better team than people recognize realized. I think they won the most most games I, in the 80s. I was going to say I was I was on MLB Now a couple weeks ago, and that was every time I'm on, they do a trivia question. That was the trivia question was which team in the 1980s won the most regular season games, and it was the Yankees. Yeah, it's, it's, just, my, it's, it's a like, good question. Um, and the A3 Yankees, I'm looking at their uh, their baseball reference page now. And also beyond, you know, Ken, Ken Griffey Sr. Uh, had a 121 OPS plus that year. Was Chris Chambliss still on that team, um, I think I saw? Uh, I don't. Ne- Greg Nettles, maybe? I can't remember. Yeah, Greg, Greg Nettles, uh, Don Baylor. So, uh, but yeah, and then the 2009 uh, Angels, as you said. So definitely not, you know, iconic uh, all-time great teams. Yeah, but, um, but they, they both won a lot of games. Interesting teams, yes, exactly. The... The, the 90, 91 wins and the Yankees finished the third that year. So it goes to show how when the uh, – And the now we have a wild card <laughs> and maybe 11 more wild cards. Exactly. We shall, <laughs> we shall see, on, see on that front. Um, there are some other teams on this list that kind of stood out to me. Like if you go look at my article, there's a chart there that lists all 30. And I think you know direct, directionally it's what you expect. At the top you have like the Twins, the Astros, the Dodgers, the A's. At the bottom you have the Orioles and the Royals. Like none of this is super surprising. Um, a couple of teams that stood out to me, two that uh, – Surprised me for being very good. Where the, the Blue Jays have seven, seven guys projected to be very good. Um, I'll buy six of them. I'm not so sure about the seventh. I'll buy the young guys. So Bo Bichette, Vlad Jr., uh, Lourdes Gurriel was very good. Kevin Biggio, Danny Jansen, Randall Gritchick. I think I'll buy those. Um, I'm not sure I'm in on the old Travis Shaw Renaissance tour. 
he was an unplayable big leaguer last year. Uh, so this is obviously going back to his very good two previous seasons. But I haven't been that high in the Blue Jays, but if that happens and Ryu stays healthy and Nate Pearson comes, there's so many ifs here, right? But the, Blue, the, the Red Sox kind of taking a step back helps them. The upside on that on the Blue Jays team is is probably bigger than people are giving it credit for. Obviously, being in the same division as the Yankees is just going to make it really tough for them to compete. But they've given themselves like a reasonable rotation. Yeah. And, and you know, we've seen it many times over the last few years, you know, like going back to like, I will always go back to the uh, the 2008 Rays as sort of like my tentpole on this. Like when the young guys come, so they can come fast. And like, you know, I, I'm still a big believer in Vlad. I think that at some point there's going to have to sort of exp- just say you're a DH and just like let it happen. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, you mentioned the 2008 Rays. I was watching the press conference yesterday where they introduced Price and Betts, Dodger <laughs> Stadium. And I'm sure I knew this on some level, but it, it completely slipped my mind that Andrew Freeman had drafted David Price <laughs> with the Rays a million years ago. And now they're back together. <laughs> that, yeah, I, 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 I forgot about that connection, that connection as well. So, I mean, the Blue Jays are going to be fun. Um, and uh, third place in the AL East possible? Uh, it, well, the Red, the Red Sox are high variance, right? If Listen, if... Martinez and plays like he can. I mean, Bogarts and Devers are so good, right? If Chris Sale is healthy and good, and if Evaldi is healthy and good, but man, any one of those guys gets hurt, they're doomed. Well, why don't we save some of these takes for the end? Right, wait, the end, wait, we talk wait, about good projected standing. The, the other team I was surprised was high on this list: the New York Mets, um, who I think I'm going to dig into more because they rate as like a top five team in multiple projection systems. Uh, projected to have seven above average hitters. And I think I'm buying all seven. Uh, Pete Alonso, of course, Jeff McNeil, Conforto, Nimmo, Cano, Ramos, and J.D. Davis. Now, some of those guys uh, have health concerns, clearly. But they're all good hitters. I don't really have a problem with any of those. No, and it also doesn't even include um, Rosario. I meant Rosario, who might, who still seems to like, you know, he's kind of had half seasons where he's like looked like uh, an impact player. So last year he kind of had a half season where he looked like an impact player. And there's still, I mean, he's still young enough that you could see him, you know, Take you know he's he's probably the one player on that roster where you still feel like there might be a leap left to be made. Every, the other players you mentioned sort of have I feel like probably a fairly established um, uh, uh, level. Seymour actually put, projects Jonas Cespedes to have a one eleven weighted runs here plus. Of course, only projecting him for you know two hundred plate appearances. I'll I'll take the over on the weighted runs created plus and the under on the plate appearances. <laughs> uh, that's uh that's probably uh. A fair assessment. I mean, I think I think that that's um, anyway. We, we can when we talk about the projections, the uh, projected stands, we can get, we can dig, dig uh, more into the into the Mets. Um, like a, a couple other teams that surprised me on the other end. Like I said, a lot of this isn't surprising. You know, who is shocked that the Royals and Orioles are at the bottom here? Nobody. Um, there were a couple of teams tied second to last with only three projected above average hitters. Now, a couple of them you'd expect, right? Seattle, uh, Pittsburgh, Detroit, right? Um, a couple of these teams want to be contenders this year: Colorado, Texas. And Arizona. Now, I've been saying for a while, years really, that Colorado's lineup isn't any good. So, like that makes sense to me. Um, Texas did a great job getting their pitching staff up to speed, but I'm very out on their hitting. I was a little surprised to see Arizona there. I I feel like I have felt again. We'll get to the projections that most projections are too low on the Diamondbacks, but maybe this kind of gets to why. You know, they're they're not. The Steamer definitely is not really buying into Christian Walker very much, or, or Carson Kelly, or Carson they're, Kelly. They're top heavy. They got the two Martes. And David Peralta. And David Peralta. And that's that's like the three. And like Nick Ahmed has shown signs, but he has not really been consistent of a hitter. So that's the the Escobar. Yeah, I'm Escobar. Not, I like Escobar. I'm not gonna, you know, we we've we've discussed the, the Rockies probably more than we need to. Oh, absolutely. It's great. <laughs> so we'll get into them. The D backs that definitely definitely surprises me. And I mean the, the D backs year in, year out are kind of a team that that beats the projection systems and you know, we'll see we'll see if that sort of <laughs> Happens again. They also have acquired the the pitcher who maybe like stands atop the mountain of reputation versus projections in Madison Baumgartner, <laughs> right? Like he is seen as you know this elite ace, and I guess if you get to the playoffs, you'd absolutely want him. But he's never projected um, in that way. I know that there's a lot that's happened in baseball over the last couple of days, like a lot. Um, I don't think we should let this Rays Padres trade slip under the radar. Is not the first Rays Padres <laughs> trade. They already traded the you know, Tommy Fan before. Uh, Emilio Pagan traded from the race to the Padres for minor league catcher Logan Driscoll and center fielder Manuel Margot. Uh, really interesting trade on like on a bunch sides. of different levels. Yes. Uh, at first, it seemed let's take the race side first, right? It, it seemed confusing, I think, to people um, because Margot is a very good outfielder, but he has not hit 
at all. I think he's had like a 80 to 85 WRC plus every single year. Uh, and as you might know, the race of a very good center fielder in Kevin Kiermeyer. And the more I looked into it, the more I thought about it, I think it's that, you know, maybe they think they can get more out of Margot than he's done in San Diego, but um, Kiermeyer hasn't been healthy or productive at the plate in like two years. And he's kind of a platoon guy now. Like he cannot hit lefties at all. Uh, Margot can't really hit righties. He's like a league average guy against lefties. And if you look at uh, outs above average, uh, which is our StatCast outfield metric, over the last three seasons, uh, Kiermeyer is tied for fifth best at plus 37. He was plus 17 last year, which was second best in baseball. Margot was plus 33 and plus 11 last year, which was seventh best. That's really, really good. Yeah, no, it's um, the the um, the raised outfield part of the the raised outfield part of this is is uh, is fascinating to me because um, as you said, they sort of could be platoon partners, and they also um, the other thing interesting thing that I think they could do is it gives them a avenue to maybe get some of their like offense first players and maybe hide them in the outfield a little bit if they wanted to. Are you suggesting Jose Martinez and I guess uh, Sutsugo is kind of a similar guy? <laughs> Um, so yes, Jose Martinez came to mind first. Um, although I w- would also be remiss if I didn't mention um, our own David Ather did a piece oh, yesterday. I can't w- oh wait, he wrote this? I he thought wrote he was this. just talking about no, it. No, he wrote a piece. Oh um, yes, I can't he wait. He wrote a piece about why the Rays should experiment with a two-man outfield. Yes, last year is, we talked about four-man outfields. Let's go. Let's go nuts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, we saw a lot of four-man outfields last year, so we've seen four-man outfields. Why not two? So of course the Rays have now basically have. You know, quote unquote, the personnel to do this. They have two of the best, ten best um, outfielders in baseball. Over the last <laughs> over the last three years, by outs above average, both Kiermaier and Margot are in the top ten. Um, if you so, go by best jump, you know, which is how we measure like how quick you get off um, get off line off a fly ball. Last year in uh, it's uh, last year two thousand nineteen, Kiermaier was first in jump, and Margot was tied for fourth. So um, these guys are elite. So David kind of broke down sort of like scenarios in which ways in which a two-man outfield could work there was like one sort of use case he he mentioned which was uh ballparks that are short down the lines but deep in the alleys where basically there's like not a lot of room to cover down the lines but like where your speed uh and jumps could really make a difference in the outfield he mentioned Fenway Park is like the perfect example because not only is it short down the lines it also has the green monsters so there's a lot of fly balls where like there's nothing you can do about them anyway you know uh, Houston is a less extreme example because the wall is not quite as high. Also, the Rays don't have to play nine times a year in Houston. They do play nine times a year in Fenway Park. So at least you're like, okay, I can. So let me think. See, through see this. See, for a see, I can see it as, as a thought exercise. I don't so, actually. So, Mar- so Margot, let's say uh, left center power alley. Yeah. Kiermaier, you know, right center ish power alley. And then what are you are you doing a five man infield? Are you doing a rover? Like where I, think, I guess it's like a per opposing hitter kind of and thing. And that's the thing. And that's sort of what he he um he he broke down. And like he gave a few um specific examples. And the one that like I think is most is most relevant because it's an AL East player is uh Black Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has a had a ground ball rate above fifty percent last year and a only twenty five percent of line drives and fly balls to the opposite field. So there's a world in which you can say, okay, here's a guy who hits a lot of really hard hit ground balls. He never hits fly balls to the opposite field. If he does, I'm willing to take that chance because it's probably only a double anyway. Yeah, he's not legging <laughs> out it inside the parker. <laughs> so okay, and maybe you know a young hitter who's had some, you know, like I mean, he's obviously he's very one specific example, but like you can get, you know, it's hard enough you hear people talk about, oh, like these guys should just hit ground balls to the opposite way to beat the shift. Like to try to make fly ball or line drives <laughs> the opposite way. Yeah. To beat the and the Rays have really good pitching too. Like you're going to go up against Tyler Glass now and say, oh yeah, I'm going to aim this fly ball. <laughs> now, of course, like, you know, the other thing is like, do you have that third outfielder who also can double as, you know, maybe uh, a deep infielder and maybe you don't, I mean, I guess uh, Daniel Robertson. Daniel Robertson is the name, that, com- is the name yeah. that comes to mind. I don't know if really Hunter Renfro really can pull that off, but you never know. If, like, if all you're asking. Well, Renfro's got a cannon. So yeah. if you put him at like a deepest shortstop or something, maybe he can make that throw. You know, so anyway, the, Vlad, Vlad Jr. was one specific example. Where it was like, okay, here's an AL East player. They're going to face a lot. Yeah. This is like maybe something that they could. I mean, they've, I mean, you should see the alignment the Rays used last year for Mitch Moreland when they faced Mitch Moreland is like insane. I'm like, not remembering this one. What did they do? They had like their um, second baseman basically in the right field corner. Oh, yeah. Shortstop. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
They had a four-man outfield with their second baseman basically literally standing in the right field corner almost on the warning track. Their shortstop in short right field, their third baseman right behind second base, their first baseman in first base, and essentially like four four outfielders, one of them being like their second baseman in the corner. It's a corner. So like it's I, – I mean I love this. Like, do you think they'll do this even once this year? Even once? It's a low bar to clear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Like, can I say yes? Because I hope they do. Well, yes. I mean, maybe that'll be a spring training thing. Well, I guess they won't have the same kind of park effects in spring training. But also, who cares? It's spring training. <laughs> it is funny looking at the Rays roster. How many players that, that are on there now? Have, like, either like they've acquired that have been like you know sort of like darlings of this show at various like Jose Martinez, <laughs> Jose Martinez and Yanni Diaz. <laughs> yes, and they just sort of like uh, and now and now Nick they, Anderson, <laughs> Nick Anderson, you know. Margot, it's just it's a uh, well. That, that, you know, that's a good segue because the guy they just traded away, Emilio Pagan, uh, who's now headed for his fourth team in four years. I remember when Oakland traded for him from Seattle for Ryan Healy. I am like 100 percent certain we talked on this show definitely how much I loved it because Ryan Healy, I didn't think very much of. Um, I, on the other hand, if Emilio Pagan was that valued, it would be on his fourth team in four years. Could you make an argument that Emilio Pagan was the most effective pitcher in baseball last year? I think most people would say no. If you were to look at expected weighted on base, which accounts not only for amount of contact, the quality of contact, and you look at every pitcher who faced at least 200 batters, he is number one with a 221 expected weighted on base. And if you don't buy that entirely, just look at the list of guys he is ahead of. Kirby Yates, now about to be his teammate, Liam Hendricks, Tyler Glasnow, Josh Hader, Seth Lugo, and Garrett Cole. Now, obviously, not all those guys are starting pitchers, um, but if you can put your name on a list with those dudes, I guarantee you, you are doing something right. Definitely, um, it's those pop-ups, man. Well, first, it's it's ninety-six strikeouts and twelve walks. There's that, right? Too. Like that's a real nice strikeout-to-walk ratio. Yes, it is the pop-ups. Over the last three years, he has induced seventy-one pop-ups. That is the second most among any reliever. Only use Mero Petit, and pop-ups are basically free strikeouts. Um, the data here is pretty clear. He has elite rise on his fastball, top five rise, uh, three and a half inches over the average at his velocity. So he throws a lot of fastballs. He gets pop-ups. He gets strikeouts. And now he's going to a Padres bullpen. So AJ Casavell is our Padres beat writer. He wrote like three weeks ago that the Padres bullpen could be the best in baseball. And now they have Emilio Pagan. <laughs> That's going to be something. It, it, and it's it's the, the path to, I mean, beyond the obvious of like, oh, Machado, you know, getting back to sort of like his peak performance and Tatis playing a full season, like the path to the uh, Padres being a contender is like, they could have that kind of, bull- they, they can have that kind of bullpen. And I think that like, because it's not besides Yates, it's not like famous names that maybe it's going a little under the radar. Um, and also the fact that obviously the division with the Dodgers, but as far as wild card contenders go, that bullpen is really interesting. It's could be dominant. I mean, but, uh, Luis Perdomo was even on, on, on the on the depth chart. Yeah, I, I printed out the depth chart here. So the top three, uh, I find amazing: Kirby Yates, Drew Pomerantz, who we've talked about a lot. I'm super in on the Drew Pomerantz uh, reliever experiment, and Emilio Pagan, right? And then you know, like Matt said, these guys aren't really household names. Uh, Andres Munoz uh, has a cannon, like <laughs> absolutely. Uh, you know, Jose Castillo is very good. Craig Stammen, Matt Strom, Pierce Johnson, Luis Perdomo not on the list. I'm, I'm still I'm still holding out hope he will, uh, he will oh, win, well, win, you, win a job in, uh, in spring training. I, I just thought about this. So now uh, that they're going towards the brown uniforms, you're going to have to update your jerseys because you've uh, only got an old blue one. True. Although now it's a collector, it's a collector, it's a collector's item. So uh, you know, Cal Quantrill's there, Adrian Morhone. Um, yeah, I don't think they're going to catch the Dodgers. But the funny thing to me is it's not about these guys. It's it's about the big <laughs> ticket guys, like you said, Machado and Hosmer. Like if you don't get star lover performance out of them, like I don't. I don't know what they can do. You're not going to get, I mean, like, I don't. You're not going to get star level performance out of Eric Osmer. Because he's never been a star. Right. I, I agree with you on that. Um, Machado, yes. And Tatis, yes. And so, like, you sort of, you know, to me, it's Tatis, Machado, fam. Like, that's a core of a really good lineup. And then lights out bullpen. And you get some support from the minors from some of these arms coming up. Mackenzie like, Gore could be up this So, again, like, they're. I put them in a similar category to the Blue Jays and that there's like enough players with like significant upside that they can, and just they come in a little differently. The Blue Jays more from like deep lineup and surprisingly good starting pitching that, that I think they, I'm not saying they're going to be playoff teams, but I think they have 
a higher ceiling than maybe they're they're giving credit for. Speaking of guys we've talked about on the show, can I see on your computer there that you have the Padres depth chart in front of you? Yes. Can you please scroll up and tell me who Fangrass has listed as the center fielder for the San Diego Padres? Franchi Cordero. Franchi Cordero. Yeah, speaking of guys that's right. <laughs> uh, the Padres have completely like turned over their outfield. They traded Renfro to the, uh, the Rays. They acquired Tommy Pham. They traded Luis Arias to Milwaukee and got Trent Grisham. They tried and failed to trade Will Myers for Mookie Betts. So the depth chart now is Pham in left, who's very good. Uh, Grisham in right with a little bit of Myers. And uh, side note, Myers has to be a platoon partner for Hosmer at first base. There's no reason to ever play Hosmer against the left-handed pitcher. Um, center field, maybe a little bit of Grisham. Franchi Cordero, our long-lost hero. I just want him to stay healthy because that guy uh, is like a stat cat superhero in terms of tools. There's no question about that. And he's again, he's like a, a like there, there's some. I don't want to say sneaky upside, but um, it's you know it's February. Everyone's we're we're all optimistic here. We want to see you know best case scenarios for teams, and I'm feeling you know I'm feeling rosy in my uh, in my projections here. So I'm looking at this team and I'm like, okay, this could be fun. I mean, they've they've been kind of entertaining team the last couple of years anyway. It'd be nice to see them. Uh, you know, start to to win, win a few more games. Yes, and as I, I said on Twitter, I am I'm just so disappointed in my brother. I'm going to San Diego for a wedding uh, in in August, and Your brother's Padre, wedding? my brother's wedding. Okay. Uh, take the kids. We're going to go out for a week, uh, and the Padres are on the road the entire time. I'm. So disappointed. Poor, poor, poor planning by your brother. <laughs> um, let's move on. So there were a bunch of uh, rule changes that were made official yesterday, and a lot of these have been talked about for a while. Um, some of them are, are pretty straightforward. Uh, rosters are now 26 instead of 25. In September, the max is 28 instead of 40, which I'm very excited about that. Um, there's a couple of interesting ones I want to dig into a little more deeply. Uh, but the top-level ones are uh, position players can't pitch until after the ninth inning unless there's a six-run gap. I think I'm in favor of that. It felt like we got – a little too heavy on the position players pitching last year. Um, and managers now have only 20 seconds to challenge a replay instead of 30, which fine. I, I think I'd rather it be zero, but 20 is fine. Um, here's a couple of the interesting ones uh, that I, I think we should talk about a little bit. The pitcher injured list is now moving back to 15 days from 10. Uh, position players remain at 15. I remember when they moved it down to 10 a couple years ago, we immediately all said, you know, the Dodgers are going to abuse the hell out of this, right? <laughs> and they did. So, <laughs> um, I think this is this is great, partially because we've seen a lot of stories about pitchers who have had like 75 different options back and forth. And maybe this will cut down on that. But also, I'm in favor of anything that makes life harder on pitchers because that's the only way we're going to cut down on strikeouts, right? If you don't have a new fresh arm every single day, um, then maybe guys can make more contact. Like, I, I think that's the only way to get to that. Yeah, totally. I think this is, and this is a... This is a uh... A, a a clear and smart like adjustment to the way they, they were, like teams are utilizing their rosters in a way that just wasn't it was not made for sort of less entertaining products. Um, two way players are now actually like codified as a thing, like a real thing. But this there's an interesting couple of notes here, right? So a player will qualify as a two way player only if he had at least 20 major league innings pitched in the the previous season and. 20 major league games started as a position player in the previous season. Now, because this year is the first year, uh, they're allowing it to be for the previous two seasons, but whatever. Um, this pretty clearly is the Shohei Otani rule, and he will qualify because last year he had 92 games started as a DH, and the year before he had 51 innings pitched. Um, I hadn't realized this until J.J. Cooper of Baseball America tweeted it out. He said he's not 100% sure because play index makes it difficult. He can't find anyone other than Shohei Otani who would have met those standards in the previous 50 years. And I found that to be interesting. I thought we'd have a couple of guys. And is it really just Shohei Otani? I guess, yeah, because Lorenzen got the innings, but he didn't get enough starts. Only six games started. I, yeah. I think that's the thing there. It's If it was games played as a position player and not starts. Uh, but, yeah, like Brendan McKay uh, pitched 49 innings, but he's probably not really going to be much of a hitter anyway. He only started one game at DH. It, will it only ever be Shohei Otani? Um, like, do, you, do you actually see the Reds starting Lorenzen? 20 times i guess if the dh comes into play in another year or two maybe um no i think i think what they'll probably just do is they'll just they'll, you know they'll say he's a good enough pitcher that we'll use on one of our pitcher spots on him and we can still feel free to use him as a hitter like it's not like they necessarily lose anything it's just they don't essentially gain a free right. a free pitcher by by having him on there like a free pitcher by having him as a two-way player so it's not like they, they lose i think they'll just keep him as a pitcher and occasionally um pinch hit him and play him in the outfield which they still can do he just won't have the two-way player designation that's that's the key that's like people need to remember is like doesn't mean he can't do it right it just means that he's a 
he's a pitcher. He's taking up one of those 13 pitcher spots. And and if he does go uh, to the injured list, it will be 15 days. Yes, that's there, there's that. Um, so this is really interesting. Red Bollinger is our Angels beat reporter, and he wrote a couple weeks ago about this, and I, I found this really interesting. Um, he talked to Billy Epler, who is the general manager of the Angels, and what Epler said is that two-way players, so really just Otani, can be placed on the injured list as a pitcher while still being available as a position player. So it's almost like they're being treated as two different people. It's like fantasy baseball. <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, Otani's coming back from the elbow surgery, obviously. So if he needs more time early in the season as he's rebuilding his uh, his arm strength, he could pitch in minor league rehab games but hit for the major league team. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of cool. That's that's cool. We want Otani. Like, more Otani on the field, the better. Like, yes. We want yeah, yeah. So, like, like, this is a smart way to sort of address uh, his situation. I mean, I think the two-way player rule, what it's basically the thing is what really happened the last couple of years. I feel like is it seemed like more and more teams were bringing in position players to pitch in games that weren't traditionally like blowouts, and that's what I think was sort of like weird and maybe just kind of productive. You see, like almost like in four and five run games where teams are like, eh, our bullpen's tired. Yeah, we're gonna like, and then it gets ugly. Then it's a twelve run. Yeah, and so now basically, the thing is, you you still can use a position player if it's a six six runs. You're down by six runs or more, or it's extra innings. So, like, position players can still pitch. It's just those specific circumstances. It just means that, like, you won't see that that gray area, which is starting to pop up a lot more, where teams kind of threw in the towel when they're like, you know, we don't want to use our ace relievers today. They've pitched the last two days. We're down five runs. We've already won two games of the series anyway. We feel pretty good about it. You know what? Like, we're just going to kind of – we're going to throw this position player out there, and we're, we're, we're taking the out. And we're, we're not going to – that's what we're not going to see anymore. And that's kind of what this rule is. is, is I'm in favor of that. Uh, and then the, the final rule change is probably the most divisive, I would say, is the three-batter minimum. A pitcher must face at least three batters uh, unless he ends the inning uh, before that. I love this rule. And I guess I should say here, I know this is like the MLB show and people expect that I'm going to love all these rules. I don't love every rule. I don't want to ban the shift. I don't like expanding the playoffs. But I love this rule. I really do. There's nothing worse to me than a, a pitching change in the middle of the inning like the Flow stops, here comes the commercial. And then you do it like twice in three batters. That is the absolute worst to me. I wrote about this last year. Um, I looked back throughout history. I, the thing is, I don't actually think this will do much. Like people have this expectation it's going to speed up the game. It won't. But I don't think that's the point. The point is to just eliminate some of the boring time. My expectation is this will be like the auto intentional ball rule where we'll complain about it for two weeks, then no one will ever think about it again. It's also, it also, it's like, it, I think it adds some drama in a sense that like, um, You'll you'll see more, like you'll see more elite hitters kind of get what I call like a free shot against with a platoon advantage against yeah. a, 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 a shape, like a sketchy reliever. And like I think that's fun. I think it's always fun when you get to see like instead of like oh here comes the lefty coming in to face you know Bryce Harper. It's like oh actually they took a chance and now they're stuck with like their side army ready to come to face to face. Like, you know they wanted their side army ready to get through the inning, but he didn't get the final out. So now Harper he has to face Harper. With a man on, with a with a time run on base, and I think that's I think that's exciting. I like that kind of it's, thing. Well, that's not going to decrease home runs, is it? <laughs> no. I, I have seen people complaining that it will reduce or remove strategy, which I completely disagree with. I think it will it will change strategy. I, I don't really think it was that strategic to say, "Well, here's a lefty, bring in the lefty." Totally, I, I love the idea of saying, "Well, do I want to bring in the guy who's got a great chance of ending the inning right here and now with two outs?" Uh, knowing that if he doesn't get get the guy out, he's toast against the next two guys, or do I want to bring the guy with a better chance of, of getting all three of them? Exactly. I, I love that. I think that's cool. Or like when a team has two lefties leading off the inning and a really good right-hand hitter afterwards, like am I going to take the chance that like we'll have two outs and nobody on? Yeah. And like I'm okay with him facing because they can pitch around him with two outs and nobody on? Or Exactly. So I think there's a lot of those questions. There's going to be much more you have to like think, you know, it's like – you really have to think multiple batters ahead. I want to I want to share some quotes from players that shocked me, right? I really expected some relievers, especially like the quote-unquote loogies, uh, would hate this, right? Because it makes their lives harder. And you've seen like Jerry Blevins, for example, who I, I like very much on Twitter, not being very happy with this. Um, you know, the pitcher who has had the most of these soon-to-be banned appearances over the last couple of years is the ageless Oliver Perez. So – Mandy Bell, our Indians beat reporter, she went and talked to, to Oliver Perez and also Adam Simber, and I fully expected she was going to get quotes full of complaining, and it was the exact opposite. They both used the exact same phrase, which was less pressure, which I thought was interesting. Ali Perez says, you might feel more comfortable because you have to pitch to three guys, and that's something that's better, probably less pressure. Like I think the idea being you go in, you've only got one guy, you better get that guy or you failed. And now you don't have to think about it that way. You've got a couple opportunities. Simber said, 
Uh, when I came over to Cleveland and Tito was using me as a matchup guy, whereas in San Diego, I was going two to three innings at a time. I put a little more pressure on myself to get righties out. Like this is my job. And when I think I'm going to be out there righty lefty, I'm just going to get guys out. It does take a little pressure off. And quote, I was, I was really surprised by that. I must have, there's probably also a little bit of ego involved. Like these guys definitely get typecast and I'm yeah. sure they don't, you know, they're cool. Like, Hey, I get to make a major league living, you know, as like a, like as a, as a lefty already specialist. So I'm not going to complain. There are worse ways to make a living at the same time. I'm pretty sure almost every like loogie out there thinks he can get righties out. And yeah. every, every like roogie out there thinks he can get lefties out. So now they will get their chance to prove themselves. And that's, I will say that point about Simber is like when he kind of emerged with the uh, Padres a couple years ago, that was what was kind of cool about him was that he had this funky delivery, but he wasn't just a specialist. Right. So, um, yeah. I uh, we'll, we'll now we'll see who like who really who the loogies really were. Yeah, and as I as I wrote last year, this doesn't happen that much. I, I was looking back at 2018, and there were fewer than 800 of these soon to be banned play, uh, appearances. So that's about 28 times per week, or roughly once per team per week. It's not going to change that much, but I can't imagine anybody who's going to be sitting there saying, "Man, I really wish I could see the manager coming out to call in somebody from the bullpen." All right, the final thing on this, I thought this was fascinating. You might remember if you've been listening to this show for a few years, we had a guest on named Jerry Weinstein. He is like a college coaching legend. He was a minor league coach at the Rockies for a while. He's like a, is he still, he's not with the Rockies I, I guess I'm not sure if he, he, he was at the time. Manager of Team Israel at the uh, World Baseball yes, Classic. Uh, best known for being a catching coach, right? He tweeted out, uh, and I think he was sharing it from somebody else that's named at Modesto B. This is really interesting to me. He's talking about the new relief rule. All right. So you have a righty on righty situation with two left-handed batters coming up. So your right-handed pitcher is facing a righty and then two lefties and nobody out, right? So he has got to get all these guys out. And if you're already planning on bringing in the lefty who's warm in the pen to face the next two batters, what happens if you get a favorable count on the batter? Two strikes, 0-2 or 1-2 against the the batter. Will you bring in the lefty then because he's only got to get one strike against the righty instead of two strikes, thus satisfying the rule, which in theory I think it would. I think that's I mean, cool. Whatever, whatever. This is something we should track. Like, cause I'm sure like in the course of a year, there are probably like, like maybe you can, I don't know if you can count on one hand, uh, pitching changes um, in, the, in the middle of the plate in, appearance in the middle of yeah. that are not for injuries, not for injuries or ejections. So yeah. like, I think if we go, we might, we might go from like five to like 40, which these are, be like, these, yeah, these are edge cases, obviously. Yeah, but I, like, I think, yes, I think, could I see the Rays doing this? Yes. <laughs> you know, like, um, so I think uh, – can I see the Brewers doing this? Yes. You know, like these teams yeah. that like are, have become known for using all sorts of little little in-game uh, strategy uh, 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 maneuvers. So, yeah, I think we, we might see like a – you know, just like on Baseball Savant sometimes when a, when a, a rookie's – like some minor leaguers in the news and we see on his Baseball Savant player page, it goes up like 10,000% yeah. because it went from like two page views to like 2,000. Like, yeah, yeah. I think that's what we're going to see with this. Is we're going to see like the number of like – Mid-minute bad pitching changes go from like five to like fifty. I'm very open to the idea that in a year I might like regret it and say no, I don't actually like this. But I I think it's cool. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Okay, finally, uh, spring training camps are open. It is projection season. That's uh, S Z N as as the kids tell me that they say. Um, the you know Zips right Steamer Pakoda all the, the names you're used to. Um, projections are not predict predictions. Like that cannot be stressed enough. Um, the Pagoda projections are, are pretty interesting. Uh, they have the projected standings out, which are a couple interesting numbers, as I'm sure the guys from BP would stress. Uh, while we are all going to focus on the, the win-loss record, they, they offer uh, you know wide ranges of 10th percentile, 99th percentile, what could wrong. It's all levels of uncertainty. They don't actually want us to use it in like, here's the number, uh, but that's just it's the most consumable. And what was fascinating to me, and Matt, I'll go through a couple of these, they project the Dodgers. 103 wins and projection systems by their very nature are supposed to be incredibly conservative. I don't know if I have ever seen any projection system anywhere project a team with 103 wins. And the thing is, I don't think it's crazy. <laughs> like the Dodgers are that good and the rest of the NL West is eh. Well, I think that's 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 kind of an interesting question is, um, we know, the Dodgers are really good. They're very deep. Um, they just, you know, traded for Mookie Betts. Yeah, literally <laughs> Mookie Betts. <laughs> um, which is still hard to like wrap my head around actually when you look at this like they have the Dodgers 103 wins and no other NL team with more than 88 wins which I, I is, will take the overall no 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 88 wins no 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 no, no other NL West team being no, any, any other oh, any, oh, okay. any NL team I got period with yes. more than 88 wins but yeah I think that's the, the, the thing about the Dodgers projection is I think baked into it is a real pessimism 
about all the teams yes. in the NL West. I think it's fair to think the Giants won't be very good. I think it's fair to say the Rockies won't be very good. I, I mean, they have the Padres and Diamondbacks both slightly under 500. I think I'm a little more optimistic on those teams, but not by a lot, I guess. Um, yeah, I think that's that's uh, the, the when we talked. You know, we talked about the Diamondbacks early on with their their weak hitting projections, and that's a real concern. I mean, they have the Padres in second place, which is which is kind of speaks to what I was talking about before is that they have a little more like upside these other teams. The Giants, I think if you look at their, like one thing that's that cool that baseball perspectives did is they kind of did like um, almost like uh, distributions for each team of like, yes. Hey, here's like probably what their, their best case versus worst case scenarios are, um, you know, with a, like in like almost like a bell, cur- a bell curve where like, Hey, the Dodgers are anywhere from like, you know, 85 to 110 yes. wins with like, <laughs> The bulk of the bulk of scenarios right around like ninety eight wins or whatever. They are they are fun to look at because the Dodgers one looks like a coding error. <laughs> they are not even like on the same planet as the other. Ones. And the, Do- the the Giants have like the lowest ceiling basically of any of these teams. Yeah, it's like they there's there's like just very little upside with the Giants. The Rockies we've talked about a lot on the show. We just know they're just probably not that good. Um, the D backs the real question because projections are really down on them. And uh, if projections are right, then you could see why this could be a division where there's. One 100 win team and four teams below 500. I will predict that one of those teams will finish above 500, but it'll be like an 83 and 79. Yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the Padres. Uh, to be to be the one team. That oh yeah, yeah. I, I think I've talked myself into that just because I like the bullpen so much. Um, I guess we're gonna go reverse sort of order here. The sure. Central is sort of a big jumbled mess. Um, but I, I like the order they have here. So the order that they've gone with here, and again, there's really not much difference between an 80-win projection and a 79-win projection. We get that. Uh, Reds, Cubs, Cardinals, Brewers, Pirates. Um, they're higher on the Pirates than I am, and they have a 70-win projection on the Pirates. Uh, the Reds, 86 wins. That's, I don't know what to make of the Reds. I don't just make this entire division. So, like, I'll buy this. The, the, Reds, be, the Reds being basically – having the Reds, like, basically six games better than the Brewers mm-hmm. is uh, – I mean, that to me, when I look at it, I see like they've got their the Reds division percentage at 47% and the Cubs at 33% and no one else over 10%. That sort of stands out to me. Well, I mean, the Brewers had a bad winter. Like, yeah, they, they, they lost like, you know, Moustakis and uh, Grandal and and I feel like I'm forgetting somebody else. Like they, they lost a lot of talented players. Totally. And the Cardinals didn't really add. Literally. And they're, <laughs> they actually they lost to Zuna and their offense was not great to begin with. So it's definitely, it's definitely notable. Uh, but it's just, it's kind of wild to see the Reds on top. And I hope that... I hope that at least the Reds get out of the gate at least a reasonable pace to kind of keep. I could see it's it just you know I'm getting into the soft factors mode a little bit here, but like if the Reds don't get to a good start, like it feels like there will be a lot of hand wringing. Oh, like they made all these moves, it didn't work out. Like they got to tear it apart. Yada yada yada. yada. So I'm, I'm hoping to see the Reds uh, get off to a get off to a good start. Uh, just looking at the NL East, the uh, I think the biggest complaint I saw from a team's fan base about these is that they have the Phillies 77 wins. Um, I'll buy the Phillies as the fourth best team in that division. Seventy-seven feels low, but also this division's kind of a mess in a lot of ways too. Yeah, I think that that does seem that does feel a little low for the uh, for the Phillies. I guess so. It's like you know they're the the pitching is you know it's unclear what the ceiling is for the starting rotation. The lineup Harper's still very good. Ramuto's still very good, but then it's like you know Reese Hoskins has kind of just become just a guy. Um, and McCutcheon's coming off injury. So if we, you know, McCutcheon's a weird one because he sort of looked like he was a player in decline. And then he was like kind of back last year and then he, and got, he got hurt. hurt. Yeah. So it's like, what's, what's McCutcheon at this point? So um, I think that's, that feels a little low to me on the, uh, on the Phillies. I, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Um, I don't really love the nationals this year, as I think I've already said, losing Rendon and a bunch of the same old guys. I don't love it. Um, like I said, I'm going to have to do a deep dive into the Mets. Projections love the Mets this year. I, I feel like they're not injecting the right amount of is the Mets. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like all of the stuff that are, it's just Mets that you can't account for. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that like the biggest disconnect between projections for the Mets and sort of like the perception of the Mets is the bullpen. Because projections, you look at the like the like the the indicators for their bull- relievers, specifically Edwin Diaz and Dylan Matanzas, and they still look like elite relievers where it's like, you know, Batanzas barely pitched last year, but when he pitched in 2018, was like as good as he's ever been. And Diaz last year obviously was like a disaster, but he had like a insane home run rate that yeah. just seems like out of the blue. And his, he, he still was, missed bats. He still was like number five amongst qualified relievers in strikeout rate. So, well, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be uh, uh, the 2018 version of Diaz. Like the, I think the projections are buying the Mets relievers as being like very good, 
as Diaz and Batances as being very good relievers, um, where the perception probably right now is like their total wild card, which I get. So there's definitely feels like a lot of variance um, baked in with the, with the Mets. I mean, the, the NL East is as wide open as the NL Central. Those divisions legitimately four teams can make a claim. Uh, the American League East is somewhat similar to the West and the National League West in one way in that they project the Yankees with 99 wins. I'll buy it. Doesn't sound crazy to me. Uh, you know, Tampa 87, Red Sox 85. Sure, Blue Jays and also Baltimore. I mean, this is actually, I think, the easiest one to me. Uh, yes. You know, we, 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 we hit, went into it a little bit earlier. Like, the Red Sox have a fair amount of variance. Now there's also reports that Verdugo might, might miss opening day. You know, he's had these lingering back problems. Like, back problems, young player, well, that's never good. Um, no. But uh, it's uh, – but they, they made the trade knowing this. It wasn't like a secret that we talked about this on the previous podcast. Like yes. we went to the Ken Gurnick like a month ago. Like, yeah, like I haven't started baseball activity yet. Between that and then like all of a sudden them saying, oh, Gratterall might be a reliever, which everybody already knew. The whole thing was a, a bizarre look. Um, so, yeah, so the, the, the analyst feels pretty uh, straightforward. You know, Central, we already talked a little about the Twins. Um, they have the White Sox as being above 500, which is very interesting and sort of I think is is – a realistic yeah i mean the, the, listen projection systems do not care about who won the winter like yeah. correctly i mean obviously a, a lot of smart people put a lot of effort into these and i mean they mostly make sense these are more if i had like sit down and list out team win numbers i'd maybe be a little higher on the Phillies, but i don't think i'd be that much different on most of these and the, i mean the thing about the white Sox is like to me my excitement about them is actually i mean he's not just grandal i think that's a great pickup for them i love moncada i'm a little bit of skeptical about him there's some like sort of like luck indicators in his favor like when he have like one of the highest babips in history well so he and tim anderson both did right i think tim anderson was entirely fortunate because he doesn't walk and he's <laughs> definitely coming back down mancada is fast and he hits the ball hard i'm willing to buy into him a little more totally but my point is like i'm not even, i'm like i'm high on eloy jimenez yes. i think he could like hit literally hit 50 homers yes um luis robert will be up luis robert's gonna be up Madrigal so at some point like, so like luis robert is like a legit 30-30 candidate out of yeah. the gate. Like, this is like a really exciting and, lineup. And we have all forgotten that they added Edwin Encarnacion, who's still pretty good. So it's – um that's – I mean, that's my excitement about the 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 White Sox. They're kind of going to be – early in the year, they're going to be kind of my dot, you know, MLB.TV team. Where, like, that I like yeah, at a okay. market game, I'm going to be really want to watching the uh, the White Sox. Uh, I, I will buy that entirely. Um, and then the West, uh, they still have the Astros number one. I'm sure everybody's going to hate that, and completely understandably so, but – they still have good players on the yeah. team. I don't know. I don't know how to undo that. Like that's just a fact. Um, and then you know, Rangers and Mariners really no shot, and Angels and A's sort of in the middle, maybe a little higher on the A's than they are. But uh, you know, you could see it for the Angels if everything works right. Like uh, Rendon and Trout are a killer one too, and then maybe if Joe Adele comes up and if Otani can pitch, and maybe they unlock Dylan Bundy. I mean, they still don't have enough pitching. I still don't know how that stripling. Jock Peterson trade fell apart because that would have benefited them immensely. Yeah, we should address that because on our last podcast, when we recorded the first iteration, we, we analyzed the first iteration of the Mookie Betts trade tree, which was the Betts trade where the Red Sox were going to get Gratterall from the Twins, and then the, the Dodgers were going to subsequently trade Peterson and Stripling to the Angels, which seemed like a great trade for the Angels, yeah. and they squashed it when like things kind of took too long to come together. Reportedly, they got frustrated with the weight, which I don't know, man. <laughs> like. Peterson was a really Peter, Peterson, and more importantly, probably Stripling yeah. were both great fits on that team for a team that's trying to win right now. Like I can't really, they were just yeah. really good, really good fits. I don't really know what the Rangers are waiting for. I still can't believe they haven't like gone out and like made a move for like like to me like why are they not trading for Jack Peterson right now? I guess he can't really pay center field. Well, I know, but I mean, better than Danny Santana. Yeah. You can always put Gallo back in center. They say they don't want to do that. There was a couple of center fielders who got moved and traded over the last two weeks, like Starling Marte. Uh, Kevin Pillar and who am I? Oh, Jared, Jared, Jared Dyson. Dyson. That's what, and you know some of those guys aren't even that good. And every time it happened, I was like, "Where were you on this, Texas? Like, you guys need a center fielder." Um, I agree with you. I'm sh- I'm sure they tried for Rendon. They they did a good job with the pitching. I'll give them that credit. Um, I, I just don't see the offense. I like Joey Gallo, and I don't know, dead air. <laughs> yeah, it's um, you know, it, I think if 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 the if the Chris Bryant trade rumors ever gain any traction. I think that is like the that to me that's the most obvious. More so than Atlanta. Yes, partially just and this is like this is just me kind of like reading tea leaves and guessing is that like if you look in recent history, the Cubs and Rangers have made a lot of trades, and I think that they just like I think that Epstein and John Daniels just like 
I, this is just me. This is totally me speculating, but like the fa- the facts are facts. They've made like yeah. nine trades in the last like ten years. That I think that they, there's clearly like a synergy there where they're able to make deals, and that kind of stuff matters. So like we see, like we've seen the Padres and Rays make a lot of trades. Like like the, the like quote unquote chemistry between GMs like matters when deals are trying to be. Yeah, the, the Mariners and Rays seem like they trade every ten minutes. <laughs> so I think for that reason, and the fact that like the um, Rangers have a really good third base prospect and Josh Young would be like an obvious like centerpiece to send back be like hey he's he's a college draftee from a year or two ago so he could be like in the majors pretty soon um it would be like an obvious sort of like centerpiece to send back to the cubs in a bryant trade you also would be like hey we got the bryant gallo las vegas connection it's like a marketing thing you can really try and play that up so i think that there's to me that's why like again we're getting the soft factors here uh soft factors alert but that would be my prediction if the, if the bryant thing ever comes to fruition that the rangers would be the the optimal, the most likely destination. We had talked in the winter, over the winter, about like the big four of like potential superstars who might get traded, right? Betts, Arenado, Bryant, uh, Lindor. And what I've been saying is I didn't, I didn't want all four of them to get traded, but I needed at least one to get traded. Well, we got our one. We got Betts. I'm pretty convinced Lindor is not going to go anywhere. That's really seems like it's died down. Um, Arenado, man, I don't know. It, it seems like he is not going to report into the last second. He won't even speak to the general manager. I don't know what's going on there. That feels like he could still get traded. Not for Bryant. It's not going to happen. <laughs> no, I think that would, to me they, they, the Cardinals would be would be the uh, yeah. Yeah, would be yeah. the would be the would be the fit there. Um, I agree. The Lindor to me, it's more like Lindor. I'll watch the deadline. Um, if the if the Twins run away with that division, I think Lindor could get moved to the deadline, and that would be fascinating. Yeah, um, I can't say with certainty that the next time we do this, Arenado will be on a different <laughs> team. Uh, but as you said, we talk about the Rockies too much, so let's wait until something happens before we do. That is our show for this week. That is the MLB.com StatCast podcast. Thanks for listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.